I think it's safe to say the most, out of all the parables uh, that Jesus told, the most emotionally powerful parable is the parable of the prodigal son, that son who was lost uh, and who came back home. It really stirs the heartstrings. Um, and it comes in this chapter in Luke, Luke 15, which has three stories which are different, but which really have very similar themes. In each story, something of value is lost, something of value is recovered, and there is much celebration. I think all of us can identify with that sense of disorientation, uh, anxiety, uh, over losing something. We've all lost something before. Uh, most of the time, it's not such a big deal. You kind of misplace something, and you're like, yeah, I can get a new one, or it wasn't that important anyways. Sometimes it's a bigger deal. Have you misplaced your keys before, lost your keys? You probably have, and that is a bigger deal. Uh, misplace your wallet. Maybe you think it's even stolen, uh, but for that time when you don't know where it is and you find it, there's some anxiety. I think the blood pressure probably shoots up a little bit. Uh, if you're a parent... Uh, there's nothing quite like that sensation of losing a child. You're at the mall. You're at the store. You may lose them for 30 seconds or a minute. But boy, is that a scary moment. Um, and so that sense of loss, when you lose something, I think the, the emotions involved, the heaviness of that is directly involved to the importance of that thing or the value of that thing which you lost. I mean, in my, <laughs> in my wardrobe at home, and I bet you can identify with this, there is a sock drawer, and there are some socks that are missing, right? You've got one. You don't know where the Anyone have a missing sock in the sock drawer right now? I mean, yeah, uh, that happens to, to all of us. Um, you've probably got two or three singles there that are kind of waiting to see if the other one churns up at some point. And I don't know where they go. I mean... I don't know what it is with socks, really. I mean, they, they seem to have a knock, knack of getting separated. And when I look, I mean, I look in the washing machine. There are no hangers on there in the, in the drum of the washer. And I kind of, sp- sometimes I'll put my hand inside. Have you done this in the dryer? I kind of spin it around a little bit to see if any socks drop out. Every once in a while one does, but usually not. I'm not really sure where they go. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, and I'm talking about that about the whole sock thing, because I think we'd all agree that there's a big difference between, you know, misplacing a sock and misplacing one of your children, right? I mean, the value, the value of what was lost will directly and proportionately affect the energy, the effort you put into finding that thing. Um, one of my favorite apps on my phone is the Find Your Phone app because we use that a lot in the Dabs household, right? I mean, one of my kids has misplaced their phone. Uh, maybe they think it was stolen at school or something. Usually, turn on the, oh, there it is. It's in the couch, you know, in between two of the, I mean, it, it's a great app. There's not a Find Your Sock app, is there? It's because socks don't have that much value. I mean, so what if you lost a sock? I mean, you can go get another pair of socks for two or three bucks at Marshall's, right? Unless you, you know, it's a $300 cashmere 
pair of socks from Neiman Marcus or something like that, you're probably not going to be that upset with losing a sock. Um, a phone is hard to, re to replace. A child, you can't replace that. Might search 30 seconds for a lost sock. I'd search 30 years for a missing child. In Luke chapter 15, we see the heart of God on display. That's really what we see. You may not think about these parables at first in that way, but that's really what it is. In each of these stories Jesus tells, there's a loss. More than that, there is a search. And we see that the heart of God is searching to be reunited with lost souls. Um, it's a picture of a heart that is restless until it finds that which is missing, that person who has gone missing. And there are obvious differences in these three stories. There are differences in the values of the lost items to start with. Uh, check this out. Parable number one, a shepherd loses a sheep, loses a lamb. Um, he had 100 lambs. Now it's time for the count, and there are only 99. So he has lost a lamb. Think about that for a second. That is a 1% loss. By most any standard of business or commerce, a 1% loss is an acceptable loss. It's not all that bad. You can not going to cause you to go bankrupt or anything. Um, you, so you lost one out of a hundred, big deal, right? Um, but Jesus says the shepherd went out searching in the open country, right? Went out searching for this missing lamb, leaves the 99 behind, and goes out on this quest to find this single missing lamb. And then he finds her... And he puts her over his shoulders, and he carries her back home. And then he invites the friends and the neighbors over, and they have this, this celebration. Because this lamb that was lost is found. And that's what it's like, Jesus says, what it's like in heaven. When one lost soul comes back to the Father, when one sinner repents... Heaven explodes in joy. God and the angels throw a party. The stakes are raised in the second parable. There is a woman who has lost a silver coin. Now, she had ten. She's only counting nine silver coins. One is missing. That is a 10% loss. Um, and it's a big deal to her. She lights a lamp. She begins scouring the floor to try to find this missing coin. And, of course, she finds it. And kind of like in the first story, there's an overreaction. Honestly, she invites the friends and the neighbors to come over and join her in this celebration because she found a coin. It's kind of weird, really. Wow, you found a coin. Okay, we're going to have a party over that. That's a bit much, isn't it? But Jesus tells us, you know, in heaven, when one lost person comes home, uh, God throws a party. And then in the third story, yet again, the stakes are raised, aren't they? We're not talking about uh, a, a lamb or a, she or, or a coin. We're talking about a person. A son has been lost. 
And this isn't a 1% or a 10% loss. This time it's a 50% loss. He had two sons. One of them is going to go missing. And then kind of to top it off, this is not something that's been misplaced. This is a son who has chosen to rebel, has chosen to get as far away from home as possible, has chosen to be lost, okay? Doesn't want to be found. Two sons. The younger one shows up and demands his share of the inheritance. Uh, Disgraceful and repugnant. Not even going to wait for the father to pass away. I want my share now. Yes, it's as as bad as it sounds. Uh, It would be bad today if somebody did that to their father. It was bad then. All I care about is my money. I want it, and I'm out of here. And unbelievably in the parable that Jesus tells, the father says, okay, divides up the inheritance, and the boy takes off, runs away to a far away land. Basically, I'm going to get as far away from you, dad, as I possibly can. And there in that far away land, he just blows through that inheritance. It's the King James that says, with riotous living. So, parties and prostitutes, poor choices. The money is going, going, gone. And there he is with, you know, nothing in his pockets. Far, far from home. The only job he can find to make money find something to eat is to feed the pigs. The lowest form of job a Jewish person could have working with unclean animals, feeding the pigs. And so desperate is this young man that he just longs to even be able to eat the slop that he's dishing out for these pigs. Is anybody going to help him? No. Nobody knows him there. Nobody cares about him, especially now that the money's run out. Nobody cares. No one's going to help. And so really, there is no other option but turn around, head back home, and hope that Dad will just give you a job. Just call you one of his servants at this point. So he heads home, and you know the story. While he is still a long ways off, you may think the difference here is the father isn't searching. The father's been searching. Because while he is way off, a speck in the horizon, the father is searching because the father sees him, and the father runs to him while he is still a long ways off. You know the story. Puts a ring on his finger, a fresh set of clothes on him, hugs him, kisses him, and then throws this massive party, this huge barbecue to welcome him back home. The older brother is kind of off there on the side, and he is not happy, okay? Older brother's not happy at all. He wasn't particularly that concerned when his younger brother took off. Now he's just frankly angry at the gall of this younger brother to dare to come back home after getting his inheritance and expressing his contempt at the father. And so, oh, the older brother isn't happy at all, but 
younger bro has come back home. And so the stories involve different losses, 1%, 10%, 50%, different items, a lamb, a coin, a son. But they present this image of God as a seeker, a seeker of lost people. Now, a lot of people have a view of God that's kind of different from that. They have a view of God as a fault finder, right? God is looking to find your mistakes and your faults. God is this cosmic fault finder. Well, in these parables that Jesus tells, he's not a cosmic fault finder. He's just a finder. He's just a seeker. And when it comes to people, there is no acceptable loss for God. Every soul matters. Much rejoicing over one who comes home. And that's hard for us, isn't it? It's hard for us because God's heart is just so big. I mean, we look at the world. There's like, I don't know how many people in the world, 7 billion, give or take a few in the world right now. Does God really care about that one or that one over there? I think we struggle with that because his heart is so much bigger than ours. But that's what Jesus wants for us to see, that God is a seeker of people. And not just in this generic sense, oh, God loves people. No, God loves that one. And God loves that one. And God loves that one. I mean loves them. Each and every one. And before we get, we're going to draw out kind of a few lessons this morning. And before we get to that, I want us to see the context of this. Because these stories aren't just told out of the blue. I mean, there is a very clear context in Luke 15. So who is Jesus talking to? And why is Jesus telling these three interesting little stories? Well, verses 1 and 2. Luke lets us know. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear him, to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with him. That's the context. That's when Jesus is going to start telling these stories. Like we talked about earlier, the value of what you have lost will directly and proportionately determine your response, the effort you put into finding that thing. If it's not important to you, you're not going to put any effort. If it's very important to you, you will never stop looking until you find it. For the Pharisees and for the teachers of the law, sinners don't have value. People who sin, people who reject God, people who don't believe in God, they don't matter. They're garbage. No point in pursuing no effort needed. So they don't, like, they don't love God. They don't care. Let them go. But the God who they claim to love and the God who they claim to worship and the God who they claim to know through the Scriptures sees people very differently, doesn't he? And so let's start there on the outline this morning just a few observations from this text the first thing is this about this heart of God 
The cosmos exists for the glory of God, yet God allows people to rebel and to run away. In his respect for each person's freedom, he allows each one to choose whether or not they will live for him. His heart is respectful. You see that in the parable of the lost son. Father could have obliged, could have forced the son to stay, could have certainly said no to that unreasonable request for the inheritance, but he respects the choice, the poor choice, honors the decision, the bad decision that that son makes. The story of Scripture is the story of God creating this vast universe. God is a creator, and out of this universe full of creation, there is something that is very special, something that is different, something that God puts his, his own stamp on, and that would be us. Okay. Um, he's the creator God, and he puts within us this spirit of creation. We imagine, we create, we dream. He is righteous, and he puts his stamp in us. We are able to appreciate and value right and wrong, celebrate when we see justice done, and grieve and even become angry when we see injustice taking place. Um, we have the imprint of God in us. We have the imago Dei printed within us. We value, uh, we value this. And wow, doesn't it mean that we have quite an enormous value in this universe? That we have God's imprint in us? That He chose to put that in us? And even though He made us, and even though uh, He is infinitely greater than we are, infinitely more powerful and wise than we are, He, I mean, maybe there's a better word, but I'm going to say He respects us because He gives us this freedom to make choices, to choose whether we're going to run to Him, run from Him, love Him, or neglect Him. The father of the prodigal son does the same thing, right? Um, you may choose to honor me or dishonor me. You may choose to live in my house or go to a distant land, and I will honor those choices. Now, tied to this is the second thing. It's a little bit different. There's a nuanced difference here. The second thing is this on the outline. It is that God recognizes that any real relationship, any authentic relationship, that it requires not only the right to love someone, but the right to leave someone. And so he lets us run from him because that's what he wants, an authentic relationship, not a forced relationship, an authentic relationship. His heart longs for relationship. Now, it's tempting to think that, you know, if God really is love, like the Bible says God, if God really is love, then... God won't allow anyone to miss out on, on heaven. But that's not what Jesus says. I think Bob talked about that last week with the two ways and the two gates and all that. 
You get to choose here or here. You get to choose God or not God. That's not what Jesus teaches, not what the Bible teaches, and certainly it's not consistent with what we know is true of real, mature love, right? I mean, love doesn't force itself on someone. Love does not mandate, obligate that a person love back. That would be extortion or coercion or manipulation, not love. Um, True love allows the other to... Either give love back or to reject that love. That's, boy, that's the vulnerable, (laughs) that's the risky thing about real love, isn't it? About God's love, too. You can do everything possible to show your love, demonstrate your love for someone, to, to woo that person, to serve that person, sacrifice for that, for, for that person. But the one thing you cannot do if your love for that person is real is make them love you back. can't do that. So the prodigal son has the right to leave the father despite everything the father has done. And that's what he did. He left. And throughout the story, the father's heart seeks to be back in relationship with the father, scouring the horizon, hoping and praying the son comes back home, longing to be, feeling this separation, this hurt. And that gets us back to the Pharisees. And it gets us back to the teachers of the law, who Jesus is telling these stories to. They are thinking, well, sinners have rejected God, so that's that. Why should we care? They made their choice. But the Father does care and has not given up. His heart breaks for them. When it comes to people, in God's eyes, there are no acceptable losses. Every single person counts and matters to Him. And the more you get to know God the more you see the pain he feels over every single lost soul. So here's the third thing from these stories. In each parable, God is shown as a seeker, always out to find and save lost people. His heart is relentless. He doesn't quit on people. Um, He is the shepherd who's got 99 safe sheep, but is willing to leave them to go search for the one that is in danger out in the wild. He is that woman searching her house for that one lost coin. Maybe no one else would have appreciated the value of that coin like that woman. She doesn't care. She's going to search for it. God is going to search for the lost soul. Luke chapter 15, 10. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Rejoicing over one sinner. Joy in heaven over one. One person gives their life to Christ. Heaven throws a party every Sinner matters to God. Each of us matter to God more than you know. Now, what a huge difference 
between God's heart and between those Pharisees and those teachers of the law, right? I mean, for them, there are losses that are acceptable. Uh, there are people who really don't matter all that much for them. It's like the older brother in the story. When younger brother turns up, he's ticked off. You were lost, I wish you would have stayed lost. I slept like a baby when you were gone. Didn't even think about you. They, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, know the word of God. They do. But they don't know the heart of God. His heart breaks over each precious child who is living far away. These believers, these experts in the Bible, these guys are supposed to care, right? And they're supposed to know God. They're not Gentiles. They're not people who've been raised without exposure to the Scriptures. They're, they've been immersed in the Scriptures since they were children. They're supposed to know this stuff. They're supposed to care that people are lost. Jesus gives them a hard time in Luke 15 because these guys are the very ones who should care. If you're a parent and you've ever lost a child for 30 seconds or 5 minutes, you begin to get a sense of how God feels when one of His children is lost to Him. People matter to Him. They are His children. Every single one of them matters to Him. So how does it make God feel when His people are surrounded by the lost and they don't care? doesn't matter. It's business as usual. That's, that's heavy, isn't it? I mean, how does it make God feel when He is grieving over all of these lost souls and we're kind of okay with it? It doesn't bother us much. That's what I think the story is asking us to, to grapple with. All three of those stories. I think for those experts in the Bible who are listening to Jesus, they probably would have heard, I'm, I'm almost sure of it, they knew the word, they were experts in the law. They would have heard the story of the lost lamb and the shepherd, and they would have thought, Ezekiel 34. In Ezekiel 34, the prophet tells this story, it's from God through the prophet, about these shepherds. These, and the shepherds are, are the religious uh, elite, religious leaders, church leaders. Uh, these shepherds who God has appointed take care of my sheep. And, and the sheep are wandering off, and the shepherds don't even care. And so God tells the story in Luke, or in Ezekiel 34, and I think they would have made the connection, those who were listening to Luke 15. Ezekiel 34, 5 and 6, So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd. Where, where are the shepherds? My sheep have been scattered without a shepherd, and they are easy prey for any wild animal. They have wandered through all the mountains and all the hills, across the face of the earth, yet no one has gone to search for them. Then God, exasperated, 
with his shepherds. It says in Ezekiel 34, 11, For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. And so this gets heavy for me, I think, for us when we really contemplate what is Jesus doing here in Luke 15? Because believers have lost co-workers and colleagues and neighbors who will never hear of God's love for them because those believers aren't going to say anything. Aren't going to share the love that God has for them. We're too embarrassed or too afraid. We might, oh, we might be rejected or awkward conversation might happen. And so the sheep are just wandering off. No one seems to care. Well, God cares. There, on the other hand, there are UTD students who are going to hear the story of God's love for them and know Jesus Christ because some of you are going to sit down in the Friend Speak program and share the gospel with them and share your life with them too. Become their friends. And that's pretty cool. You know, we're not talking about lost coins or sheep or socks. We're talking about lost people who matter to God. He relentlessly seeks them. He calls us into this mission of seeking them, reaching out to them, loving them, befriending them, sharing the good news with them. And so finally, let's note this on the outline. The party, at the end of each one of those stories, the party is a call to celebrate not only what has been found. Wow! A person came home to God. Hallelujah! Not only that, but to celebrate the big-heartedness of this Savior, this God who won't give up, who never quits. Um, because His heart rejoices when lost people are found, and His people rejoice over that. I just love that about God. I love how God doesn't quit on sinners. It makes me happy. It makes me want to dance. It makes me want to celebrate. It makes me want to gather and sing hymns of praise on Sunday mornings with y'all. And that's really one of the reasons we worship, isn't it? One of the reasons we celebrate. And one of the things that motivates is how amazing is our God's heart who relentlessly seeks the lost, who loves people even whose lives are totally messed up, people who don't believe in Him, don't care about Him, don't want to be with Him. He loves them. And that's a beautiful thing that we worship and celebrate. Think about that. This is one big way that God really, God is different from the seekers that Jesus presents to us in the parables. Um, the search, like the search of that shepherd for that lamb, it was inconvenient. There was a cost to that. Or, or the woman who, who searched for that lost coin, same thing. There was some inconvenience. There was some effort put into that. Uh, even the story of the prodigal son, there was a cost to bringing the son home. I mean, there was some expense there. There was a bill from that party and all that clothes and the ring and all that stuff. But none of that remotely compares, does it, to the cost that the seeker with a capital S, the Savior, none of it compares with the cost that he paid 
to seek what was lost to him. Because the cost to him was his only begotten. Jesus gave up his life. John 3.16 Because God so loved the world that he gave up his son. To seek you, to seek me, to seek the lost in Dallas, to seek the lost beyond. It cost God his son. He spared no expense to bring people back to him. So Jesus died on the cross. That was a high, the highest price he could pay. And now, because of that, we know he loves us. We know he loves our neighbors. We know he loves UTD students showing up from all over the world. We know he loves every single sinner, and he rejoices when one comes home to him. And so we sing choruses of praise to God. We celebrate his big-heartedness. And then the question is, will we join him in this sacred mission to seek and save the lost? Maybe this morning, it's your morning to say yes to God. You know now he's been seeking you your whole life. He has been pursuing you. And you're ready to turn around and run into his arms just as the prodigal son did. You can do that confessing your faith, being baptized into Jesus this morning. Maybe you just need prayers. However, we can help you with that. We would invite you to say yes to God, to respond to God, to come home to God as we stand together and worship.